I'm going to begin here uh, with the scripture, um, <clears throat> Joshua 1, 1 through 10. And I've got it from the message. And you're right, it is so bright up here. Can we bring that down just a touch? Because I can barely read back here. You guys are reading here. But uh, yeah, just a, just a touch. After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, Moses' assistant. That's perfect. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get going. <laughs> cross this Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on. Just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, east of the great river, the Euphrates River, all the Hittite country, and then west to the great sea. It's all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold out against you. In the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. There's two things I want to point out about this. Number one, this is a prophetic word for every believer for all of time. The scriptures are written for what? Correction, direction, exhortation. They are written, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't answer with opinions or feelings. He didn't look for an encounter from the Holy Spirit to make him feel zowie and nifty. He took the scriptures out and he defeated Satan completely. And we to this day still do the same thing. It's called the sword of the spirit. And this is one of those things. This is one of those moments, the slashes of a sword. And it's important that we take this up. The first thing I want to point out is that Moses' name means delivered. It means I will save. God spoke to Moses, fulfilling his covenant with Adam and Eve from the very beginning where he said, I'm going I'm to save you through the seed. He came, and this was another part of that promise, that he goes to Israel. He's keeping the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's keeping those promises. And he goes to Moses, and he saves Moses, and Moses' name is, I will deliver. Do you got that? Say that, I will deliver. And who is that? It's God. God's saying, I will deliver. <clears throat> then he continues to keep his promises. And now Moses, the promise, he's a prophet. Okay, there's a message in this for us. The promise of I will deliver goes up to the Lord. And now Joshua is left to fulfill the promise that God made, which is what? I will deliver. And Joshua's name means God saves. Joshua is Yeshua. It's the same name. It means God saves. Who is Yeshua anyway? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. You guys see where we're going with this? So God says, I will deliver. And now that promise, I will deliver. I've, be I've begun to deliver. Now Joshua, take the people into the promised land. What was the promise? That I will deliver. Where's the promised land? Right here. How many of you know that God is going to build a new heaven, but he's also going to build a new earth? Some of you weren't sure, so let's try it again. How many of you know he's going to build a new heaven, but he also says, I'm going to build a new earth? Yeah, he's going to redeem it. There's another place in scripture where it says, all of creation, meaning the earth, is groaning and crying out for the revelation of the sons of God to be revealed. Creation itself, remember this, that when God created all things, he said what? It is, it is good. You guys are quiet today, but I'm just going to assume you're thinking deeply. He said, it is good. I know you are deep thinkers. It is good. And when the enemy of our soul came in and brought sin and death and tempted us, what did he do? He brought a curse upon what was good. And Jesus and our Father and the Holy Spirit immediately set out to make a plan to what? Restore what was good. 
And he did never, not one time, change his mind. He is still all about restoring the things that were good to their former glory. It doesn't say you have sinned and fallen short of, a new, of an old thing that I'm never going to do again. It says, no, you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm going to restore that glory. So the message, the lifestyle that we're called to is a restoration of glory. And we don't turn to the things that God created as good and very good and turn around and say, oh, he's given up on that nonsense. He doesn't even like it anymore. No, Jesus came to restore those things. Are you with me? And so here's this promise now to Joshua, to Yeshua. His name is Joshua. And what is he? He is a Christ type. He is representing the story of God with man. And Joshua is coming now to follow what God is saying, that God will save and keep his promise to deliver. And he says to Joshua, I'll be with you, and I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. And it continues. Strength, courage. You're going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. The Lord has promised us that he will redeem this earth. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. When you get born again... You look just like you. Did you notice that? And when you get your new body, you know what you're going to look like? You. Because he's not going to give you a new you. He's going to give you the rejuvenated you, the reborn you. Your body will match your spirit. But we will know who you are, and you won't forget where you've been. Because you're you. He's not upset about what he did when he made you. He made you, and he likes how he made you. When Wendy was saying, I can't look away because I made your face, that's not hyperbole. He likes your face. You're going to keep it. Come on. It's just we won't have the liver spots and such like because we won't die. We just die the one time. Isn't that great news, though? Come on. For people like me who just found out they were beautiful, thank you, Pastor Raphael, I'm excited because now I get to stay beautiful. This is a good news. Let's continue. He says, the land that I promised to give their ancestors... Um, Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you. Every bit of it. Don't get off track, either left or right, so as to make sure you get to where you're going. Let me read that again. He says, give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you. Every bit of it. Don't get off track, either left or right, so as to make sure you get to where you're going. What he's saying is, read your Bible and do what it says so you don't get taken off the path of where you're going. That's a say law right there. I think we've got it. And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation be out of your mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything written in it. And then you'll get where you're going, and then you'll succeed. That's about done right there, isn't it? But I have a whole lot more coming. But that's a good word. Practice doing what's in the Bible. Meditate on it day and night. And then you'll succeed. And you'll get where you're going. It's like the best Bible commercial ever. <laughs> Don't be timid. I love it. He says, haven't I commanded you? Strength. Say strength. strength. Courage. Courage. Come on. Yeah. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step of the way. God, 
your God is with you every step of the way. And I like how that is. Not God, my God is with you. No, no, no. God, your God is with you. And God, my God is with me. And God, our God is with us. Come on. Are you getting encouraged? Good, because it's a command. Let me continue. I love this. And then you'll get where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Haven't I urged you? That does not what it says. Haven't I suggested? No. Haven't I alluded? No. That's a strong word. What does that say? Haven't I commanded you? (laughs) Strength, courage, don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. That is some strong language, isn't it? Don't be timid. Yeah, but I was thinking that. No, I said don't. Don't be timid. Yeah, but I'm just so discouraged. I said don't be discouraged. Lord, you don't know how I feel. I didn't ask you how you felt. I'm telling you what's true, not how you feel. Have I not commanded you? This is the NASB. Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why is he able to command us with such strength, with such... I mean, it's pretty ferocious. There's, there are exclamation marks in there. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? Because I'm with you. That's why he can say it with such confidence. It's not go drum up some feelings so that you can try to be awesome on your own. He's like, no, 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 no. I never expected you to go do this on your own. This is not, you're not qualified to do this because you're so awesome. This is not a value statement. You're awesome that way. But it's not because you're big enough and smart enough. It's not because you finally figured out how to keep the rules enough. It's because I'm with you. You see, God can call us to do, man, I'm spitting a lot today. Are you guys feeling baptized? You want to come closer? There's like an anointing on it, I'm pretty sure. I brushed. Have I not? Karen always tells me, don't tell us when you spit. We can't see it. But I can. It's like a, it's like a cloud of blessing just shooting out all over. Did anybody else see it? I just need to know. Just maybe one of you. Oh, my wife is 100% correct again. Do not argue with your wife. Have I not commanded you? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Are you guys with me? So now i got to unpack this. Okay, here we go. So the bottom line is what? Don't be scared because the Lord your God is with you. All right. Now, that's some small print. Can you even read that? You're just going to have to take my word for it. Now listen to this. We are living in an age just like every other age before us. You guys are like, no, no. No, it's totally true. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. It says in the, in the last days, knowledge will increase, and that's true. We've built upon discovery, upon discovery, upon discovery, and, and it's been really great. We went from the wheel to the MacBook Pro. I love it. That's a perfect succession in my mind. There's some other things that got invented, but mostly just those two things. That's the big leap. But these things were built upon one thing upon the next, and it's been increasing. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, we're fighting the same cosmic battle between good and evil that's already been there. But here's the beauty, of course. The one thing that's never changed and still won't change is that Christ has the victory. So we're engaging in redeeming the planet. Why? Because God's actually going to completely redeem the planet. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited about this word. Can you tell? Let me read this. All right. So in that, in that ongoing, absolutely valuable journey that we're on, we battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. We are, it says that through the church, God is demonstrating his glory. And we are releasing heaven on the earth until Christ finishes the redemption. But we're doing it with the promise of knowing that our struggle is to see darkness overcome with light. Okay? That's what we're engaged in. So in that ongoing journey, this is what the Lord says to us. These are some of the things we have to understand, who we are and where we're at. And this is not new. I need you to know this. This is not new. You're not facing troubles that the great cloud of witnesses didn't already face. I don't say that for us to be patronizing. I say that, that we should be encouraged that our fathers in the faith, our mothers in the faith, have faced the very things that we've faced and overcome. And they're with the Lord and they're spurring us on to fight the same good fight. This needs to be encouraging for us. Are you guys encouraged by that? Because then we can look back and say, this is, this is a word for today. And indeed it is. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now I want to stop for a minute. When he was writing this letter, he's writing to uh, Christians who were in a place that were contending with the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that Jesus came. The Gnostics essentially believed this. There's spiritual realities that really, really matter. And then there's material, fleshly, all other things. They're what's not really important. And they actually distract you from what's really important, which is purely spiritual things. And you needed to disconnect from all of the common material things in order to ascend to spiritual health. So if it's material, it's bad. If it's spiritual, it's good. And because of that belief system, they were saying that Jesus Christ didn't actually come in the flesh. He was actually just a ghost illusion that came and tricked everybody into thinking he was here, but actually Jesus would never become flesh because flesh is so worthless and material and wicked and bad, and God couldn't become something bad. Okay, So he's saying to them, Test the spirits because if anyone says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, they're not from God. But if they say he did come in the flesh, they are from God. Are you guys with me? And so he's saying the message that says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. Meaning this. Our entire gospel is based on the fact that God came, became flesh. If he didn't come here, and deal with real, material, physical things that happen on earth in creation, then we do not have salvation. Do you hear me? If Jesus didn't come and deal with real problems, then we don't have real salvation. That's essentially the Antichrist message, is that God meets, quote, airy-fairy spiritual needs, but he doesn't really help us in real time with any of the physical things or anything else. And the reality of reality is that there's no break in those things. God created all things. In him we move and have our being. Our physical selves and our spiritual selves, we are one. We can't just break that stuff apart and have one part that's valuable and one that's not. God redeemed all of us. 
and at the resurrection, we'll get a new body. Now, I don't have time to spend more on that, but this is so key because what I'm trying to make us aware of is a foundation upon which our hope rests. So are you guys with me on the, the Gnostic gospel and why John's speaking to that? Because, beloved, I'm telling you, there's still a, 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 a strong spiritual argument that here today, essentially, the enemy still whispers this same thing to us in this day and age of like, yeah, that's great, you're going to heaven someday. You know, someday God's going to come, that's super cool, that'll be amazing. In the meantime, you probably better figure out how to do this life because he's not really helping with that. He saved your soul, but this stuff, you'll just have to figure it out. Are you with me? You see, this, see how that's the same thing? If he doesn't meet you in this practical time, if he doesn't have real solutions for businesses and families and relationships and health and, and, and governing and education and all of these other things, then he's not really a real savior because those things matter. Those things have intrinsic value because they have to do with creation, and he created creation. And a God that doesn't redeem creation is not a redeemer. Are you guys with me? So that message of a separation, of a part, partitioning off certain parts, that message is the message of the Antichrist. So let's continue. So that's what he's saying. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that is coming and now it is already in the world. So did you catch that? The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. This is, this is a couple thousand years ago. And he's saying, the author's saying, the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is where? Already in the world. So for those of us that have been reading a lot of end time novels and we're getting real excited about the spirit of the Antichrist showing up and we're deciding who did or didn't get elected as the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist has already been in the world ever since then. That's not a frontline message. The spirit of the Antichrist is the one that comes in and says, you can find a different way to transform the world without Christ. You can get saved without Christ. You can live your life abundantly without Christ. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. It means you don't need Christ. This is not new news. Here's what's beautiful about that. Super encouraging for us because we're like, oh, they were already thinking about this. There's already answers about this. I love this. It's already in the world. But you are from God, little children, and you've overcome them. Because greater who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We're from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God doesn't listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. There it is again. He's with us. Because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the what of the world? To be the Savior of the world. To be the Savior of the world. Now I want you to catch this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the blank of judgment. What is that word? In the what of judgment? How long? How long? Is there, has that day happened? Okay, so how long again was that judgment? How, how, how long is the, a period of judgment that's a day? How many hours is that? 24? Okay. And what does day mean, like from when to when? So we've established it's a day. Is there anyone here that's confused about how long this judgment is? Is there anyone confused? Good. It's a day of judgment. Now catch this. I mean, this is all going to come together. I know you guys are like, what are you doing? Or at least I see that on your faces, I think. Okay, don't be afraid. God is love. Abide in love. And then he starts going into, because we abide in love, he says this, because as he is, so also are we in the world. And he goes, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Why? Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Moses, I will deliver. Joshua, God saves. Present day, Jesus came. Yeshua came and saved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and made propitiation for our sins. Christ took all punishment. Which means... There's no punishment left for us. Why? Because we believe in Christ. And Christ took the punishment. If Christ took all punishment, did Christ take all punishment? Then how much punishment is left for us? This is so basic that we actually miss it. We are so used to being motivated by fear and punishment, or fear of punishment is actually what it is, that when we hear the gospel, it almost goes like, boing, off of our heads. Because we're like, wait a minute. If I don't have the fear of punishment to motivate me, how will I ever be good? Like, if I'm not scared that I'm going to get a hard spanking any minute now, what will motivate me to do the right thing? And the scripture is saying to us, when we think like that, we're actually looking for fear to motivate us to love. But fear and love can't abide in the same place because perfect love casts out all fear. Which means perfect fear casts out love. And yet many of us actually have made agreement with the spirit of fear because we think fear is the thing that will cause us to love. We think fear is the thing that will cause us to be righteous, to obey, to follow through. 
And we put it off on this idea of that the judgment of God is going to come down upon us if we do things bad. And that's a great idea if you don't have Christ. But because Christ has come, that idea is anti-Christ. The idea that fear will motivate me to be righteous and to live in love is anti-Christ. Because Christ came while we were yet sinners and loved us before we loved him. And it's now, now here's the thing I want you to catch. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of judgment. On that day, after every one of us has been given the time to live on this earth and to choose or reject him, he will say yes and amen to whatever we choose. If we choose to reject him, he will say yes and amen. I, 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 I respect your choice. And we will be separate from him for eternity because we are eternal creatures. Or we will believe in Christ and receive the love that he's given and the righteousness that he's given. And he will say yes and amen. And we will live with him for eternity because we're eternal creatures. So there will be a day when all things will be laid before him and he says yes and amen to what we've chosen. Either Christ, and we will with great gratitude and joy because of his mercy and love say, <laughs> thank you. Or we will look upon him and we will continue in our rejection of him and say, no, thank you. Now this is key for us because if we're still motivated by fear on this earth, it exposes something that's going on inside of us where we think that we need judgment on this earth in order to inspire us and others to live righteous lives of love. It means that we still have faith in judgment and punishment instead of the love of Christ. Are you guys with me? All right, I want to continue. So he goes on to say, I'm going to just start right here. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say we loved because we were under judgment and punishment and decided to turn from our wicked ways so that he would stop punishing us. It says we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Okay, we're in a heated political climate right now. And there are different people in different, different positions. And I've heard some of them say, I, I don't know how that person could vote that way or believe in that thing and say that they believe in Christ at the same time. I don't think they're saved. What is the motivation there? Christ either can save us in whatever condition that we're in and begin to show us what he's doing because of the finished work of Christ 
the finished work of the cross. Or we're actually saying, I'm judging your salvation based on your current level of revelation. And we're actually breaking relationship with other people because of my or their level of revelation and setting aside the work of Christ over a political season. What is motivating us at that time? It's actually fear that we don't actually believe that Christ's love is enough to redeem the world. We need to get involved in cutting off relationship from people because in this moment, we don't have the same revelation yet. We don't actually believe in the idea of a full redemption. And we're willing to entertain the idea that someone else who believes in Christ is not actually saved because they don't have the rest of the revelation of Christ's teaching on a, on a certain issue. That's quite an extrapolation, isn't it? And yet, each of us, I believe, have had moments where we've, where we've entertained such things. And it speaks to a greater issue. Are you guys doing okay here? I, I know I'm covering a lot, but I feel like I've got to remind us of the foundation that we stand on. So, Lord, will you help me to wrap this up here that we could land in a good place? If we're to be motivated by love and not fear, and if perfect love casts out all fear, and fear has to do with punishment, we have to examine a reality where punishment and fear are never the motivators for what we do. There's a spirit of fear that's pervasive in the earth, and it's been there forever. It's been there ever since we fell from glory in the garden. The enemy brought fear into the garden when he told Adam and Eve, you're not who you think you are, and God's not who you think he is. And fear entered in, and they stepped out of perfect love. Think about that for a minute. God used to come and walk with them in the cool of the day, and they walked around naked, covered with the glory of God. There was no lustful thoughts. There was no, there was no consuming one another. There was perfect union in the presence of God and perfect love. And when fear entered in, fear chased them out of the garden. They were afraid that God was not who he says he is and that they were not who he said they were. That is the message of the Antichrist. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. we got to catch this, saints, that when we're afraid, it's okay for us to stop and go, wait, wait a minute, I'm operating in fear. I'm operating in the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, the good news is you have Christ, so it's not like you have to worry about that too long. That would just be more fear. Just do an about-face, be like, that is actually an illegal option for me. I don't operate in fear because it is the opposite of love. Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We all know that part. Listen, look at this next verse, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. How many messages do we hear 
about God's judgment on America right now. God's judgment on Russia right now. God's judgment on all these other nations right now. God's judgment is on that nation right now because of this and this and this. 9-11 happened. It's because of homosexuality and abortion. JFK was getting elected as a Catholic. First, I think he was the first Catholic president. He was, the, he was called the Antichrist. JFK, the Antichrist. And America was under judgment because we elected a Catholic Antichrist to a nation that we weren't even 330 million people at that point. I, I love, anyway, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and, and, and everybody grabs a hold of this idea that God is walking around judging the world when Jesus came and said, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I looked up that word world, and it means, it means world. <laughs> Yeah, no trick language. Cosmos. He came to redeem what he created. Imagine a God who creates something good, crowns it with us and says it's very good. An enemy comes, tricks his creation, tricks them, gets them to be afraid and doubt him and turn against him. And he has to watch injustice as all of the things that he planned are put into the hands of his enemy. And the most beloved thing, the things that he's made, are corrupted by that enemy. And he says, absolutely not. I'm going to redeem every bit of it. And I'm going to do it righteously and with justice. But I'm going to use mercy to do it. Because I am love. And yet, in Christ, as he does that, that same enemy comes in and says, yeah, he's going to redeem it. But none of this stuff. He's judging all this stuff. That's the opposite message. Christ was judged. Say, say that out loud. Christ was judged. All right, so I'm going to say this, okay? I'm going, to start, I'm going to start listing some things. And after I list it, I want you to say, Christ was judged. Are you ready? Homosexual marriage. Abortion. Murder. Fornication. The pornography industry. Meth. Corrupt politicians. Broken marriages. Divorce, addictions, selfishness, stubborn idiot husbands. <laughs> you see my point? How much judgment is left over? There is only one thing that there is yet judgment left for. And that will be those who have heard the gospel. Say, heard the gospel. And say, I don't want it. Okay? You don't have to say that part, sorry. But you guys are doing awesome. Are you, are you with me here? Listen, there's only judgment left for those of us who, and by the way, God doesn't, he's so stinking good, guys. He doesn't just tell us one time, like, Jesus died on a cross and blah, 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 and so do you want that? And you're like, no. 
And he's like, well, then that's it. You're judged forever. No, you have this entire life. In fact, there's a scripture that says, don't think that God is slow in keeping his promises, but rather in his kindness and forbearance, he desires that none should perish, for it's his kindness that leads to repentance. So you get to see the gospel. All of creation speaks of the glory of God. And he sends us to everyone to preach the gospel myriad times. And when every ear is heard, then he will come. This is great news. So how much judgment is left for the earth? There's one day. But, but when Jesus came, he quoted Isaiah 61. And he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For he has sent me to free the captives. And if you continue to read it, it is redemption for everything. Rebuilding the ruins of ages and generations. He's rebuilding everything that's been broken. He came not to judge the world but to save the world. And we can't have a gospel where he's here to judge the world. Because if we do, and, and beloved saints, to the point that we don't understand this, to the point that we don't understand this, to the point that we don't understand this, is to the point that we are constantly afraid. And the spirit of the Antichrist, which is fear, dominates our relationships and the way that we live out the gospel. Are you catching that? I want you to think about this. Go home and look at the scriptures and go, that's a bunch of nonsense. I'm going to prove you wrong. You will just get drunk with love, seeing how much there's no judgment left for the world. He's going to redeem the world. The only judgment that's left are for sons and daughters who reject him. And that's one day. One day after everyone has had myriad chances so how much judgment is left for the world? There's none. If there's judgment left for the world, then Christ's sacrifice was not enough. And we have no gospel. Praise be to Christ that he took Every lash, every bit of shame, every bit of separation, every bit of judgment so that we could be forgiven. That's the gospel. So what does this have to do with fear? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And then John 3.17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So there's no judgment left. And if there's no judgment left, then there's no reason for fear. The enemy has done a phenomenal job, and God help me, I'm going to land this plane now in four minutes. You can time me and then just start going, eh, eh. To the extent that we believe that there's judgment left for this world is to the extent that we will believe every fear message 
that comes along and matches that belief. If we believe that the world is under the judgment of God and the scriptures and Jesus says otherwise, then we will look at sowing and reaping and call it the judgment of God. You throw a rock up in the air and it hits you in the head, it's not because God judged you. You sow stupid economic decisions and it brings poverty, it's not because God judged you. You take away the hope of the next generation and everybody gets hopeless, it's not because God judged you. You have a lot, you don't, do you see what I'm saying here? That the enemy comes in and says, this is the judgment of God. And he calls sowing and reaping, principles that are God-given, he calls that the judgment of God. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But when tsunamis come, people say, that's because of the judgment of God. God said, I came to redeem all things. You'll have troubles, but don't worry. I'm for you, and I'm going to redeem everything. The enemy comes and says, oh yeah, well, yeah, in a, in a spiritual kind of way. But in real time, he's judging the world. So you should be afraid because a whole bunch of other people are making decisions that are making you collateral damage. And isn't that our real fear? I don't want to be collateral damage in decisions that other people are making that are going to make God mad so that he punishes my nation and I get squished because of it. I got a retirement, people. You need to be righteous. Otherwise, my stock's going to go down. I want my house to keep going up in value, people. So you got to make righteous decisions. Otherwise, God will curse the economy, and then I will suffer. Do you see that? Our gospel has to work in real time. The spirit of fear is never, ever coming from God. And the world is not under the judgment of God. And if you believe the world is still under the judgment of God, I want to encourage you to go back and look at the revelation of God. Look at the revelation. Let it not depart from you. Meditate on it day and night and see if Jesus really is judging the world anymore. Because perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And Christ took every bit of punishment. So there's no punishment left. And until that day, there's no judgment on this world. Are you with me? I'm saying it a lot of times, but I just, I'm telling you, God wants us to get this revelation. He wants us to understand the good news is good news. It's not conditional news. It's great news. Let's stand up. Lord, I'm not counting on me being a fantastic communicator in order for this to be true. I'm not counting on me being perfectly eloquent. I don't want to not be clear, but Lord, it's not my eloquence that's going to cause us to have a revelation of the finished work of cross of the cross. Lord, it's, it's not my abilities that are going to cause this to be true. Lord, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can believe what is true. Father, I ask that you, O oh God, would rebuke the spirit of fear from us as a people. Lord, I ask that your perfect love would cast out all fear in our lives right now. 
Father, I ask that in every place where the enemy of our soul has come and brought that teaching, that spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit that God, Jesus, you said I came not to judge the world, but to save it. And Lord, for many of us, we're still looking around and saying God is judging the world. This is spirit of the Antichrist. You said, I came not to judge the world. And Lord, we've said when bad things have happened, that's the judgment of God on that nation. That's the judgment of God on that person. That's the judgment of God in the world. Lord, it's the opposite of what you said. Father, we need you to transform us by the renewing of our mind right now. That your perfect love would cast out those doctrines that have dominated our thinking and caused us to be afraid. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would give us wisdom. And we ask in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to depart from myself and these people. Spirit of fear, you have been displaced by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God, whereabout we cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And the saints said, amen. Hey, bless the people as they're coming in since I kept you so late. God bless you guys. Have a great week.